From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, everyone. Jody Heiss sitting in today for Tony Perkins. We are deeply appreciative of him and Washington Watch. He is taking a couple of days off for much-needed and much-deserved family vacation and some rest time, and we wish him and his family the best. I am Jody Heiss, your host today, guest host. I am the uh, U.S. Congressman from Georgia's 10th Congressional District, in fact, coming to you live today from beautiful Lake Oconee in Greensboro, Georgia, which is the heart of the 10th Congressional District, and we welcome you aboard. Glad you're joining us today on Washington Watch. We've got several things to cover today. As you well know, many very important issues are facing our country today. We'll be joined shortly by Barry Fleming. He is a state representative from the state of Georgia. He is also the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and is himself the one who put together the election laws of Georgia. We will be talking with him about the Georgia election. A little bit later on, we'll be talking with Bishop Garland Hunt. He is the senior pastor of the Father's House in Norcross, Georgia. And we're going to be talking about why Christians must get out and vote, not only here in Georgia, obviously that's the most important uh, immediate election, but across the board, and uh, FRC Action recently had an incredible meeting with a group of pastors in Georgia. Bishop Hunt was one of those, and he'll be joining us. Then today, earlier in the day, the House Oversight Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives, of which I serve and I'm uh, the ranking member of the Government Op- Operations Committee, we actually had a briefing with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger today, this morning, I want to give you a little bit of an update as to what happened on that. And then later in the program, we will be joined by Senators James Langford and Tommy Tuberville to discuss what the Senate could look like if indeed Democrats win. So a a great program lined up for us today. I encourage you to stay for every bit of it. But let's begin with Barry Fleming. He is a he's a lawyer. He is a brilliant mind on the legal side of things, and otherwise, for that matter. He served as chairman of the Columbia County Board of Education, uh, Board of Commissioners, uh, which is in the Augusta area, Augusta, Georgia area. As I mentioned, he is pretty much responsible for the election laws in Georgia. He is the House Judiciary Committee chairman and uh, just a great man of faith and a great leader in every way. Barry, thank you for joining us today on Washington Watch. Well, Congressman, I'm uh, honored that you would let me join your show, and let me start off by saying I'm sitting right here on the side of the road in Appling, Georgia, where I pulled over so we could talk better, the home of the Georgia, uh, the Good News Network, that is, in, uh, in Georgia that carries this show. So good to be with you today, great. and thank you, for your serv- thank you for your service to our community. You're a great Congressman. We appreciate you. Well, thank you very, very much, and likewise, your leadership is tremendous, and never has it been more important than now. Let's talk a little bit about Georgia. Uh, first of all, just kind of going back a little bit into the November 3rd election, just some general observations that you have about the election as it went. Where do we stand on it at this point? Just uh, kind of a 30,000-foot overview from your perspective. Um Congressman, I think we never designed our election system in Georgia to have about 20 to 25 percent of the people voting by absentee ballot. And as we have gone through uh, weeks of hearings and 
looking into the problems that we had, most of the problems stem from that. And I think that uh, in our next legislative session here in Georgia, which begins in January, you'll see an attempt by the Republicans who control the House and Senate to change those election laws so that people are voting in person, showing their photo IDs. Uh, when our system was only about 2 or 3% absentee ballots, we didn't have all the problems that we've experienced this time. Uh, our system simply was not designed uh, for COVID in mind. And uh, when that occurred and the absentee ballots went up so high, uh, we saw problems. Um, people counting votes uh, early into the morning hours when they should have been done. And um, there have been some changes made since then for the runoffs we have coming up in Georgia on January the 5th with two United States Senate races to try to help that. And I think you'll see even more in the next legislative session. Well, that brings up a very interesting point in itself. Of course, Georgia now is the epicenter of the political world as it relates to this upcoming election with two senators. How rare is that to begin with, that two Senate elections are taking place in one state at at the same time? But this particular election carries tremendous weight with it uh, because not only the balance of power in the U.S. Senate, but literally the balance of power for the entire nation and the political philosophy, if you will, that is going to dominate the direction of our country in the upcoming years. And so with all that weight on this election, uh, there's there's no question with the with the disaster, if you will, from the presidential election, people want to know that their vote is going to count. And as you're talking about some changes forthcoming in the General Assembly in the next session, I guess the, the big question and you you touched on it a little bit, but what is being done now to ensure that this senatorial election is going to be safe and secure? Well, one thing, uh, I joined about 100 other Republican members of the House, and we asked our election officials to make changes. One of them was more observers and monitors in the polls, particularly in the counties where there were problems. And I'll go ahead and say in Georgia we have 159 counties, And although there is state law that governs those elections, it's really a county-by-county system of elections, and the counties run the elections with just some general oversight by the state. And that's different in other states. Some states have a centralized system. We don't. But uh, we ask that more uh, monitors and poll watchers be in place uh, so that where there's usually sunshine and a lot of eyeballs are watching, you, you, you get a better uh, result, and, and I think that's one of the first and biggest changes. One of the other things. Now, are are you talking about that, on mm-hmm. election day, or are you talking about the counting process? Both, both. Okay. Um, that more people watch that process, particularly with absentee ballots. I think another thing that, that was not great in Georgia was that because we had so many absentee ballots, really only in a couple of three counties, they waited later than they should have to start processing those, which many people think caused a rush. Many people think that's why at 3 and 2 in the morning, the late hours when things generally don't happen that are good, uh, we've taken some steps uh, to ask that that not happen this time, that the counting be done the night of the election. One of the changes, for example, not to get too deep into the weeds, though, is that counties are now supposed to begin the processing for those absentee ballots. So hopefully they'll be doing it during the daytime and it'll be done by the time the election results should roll in that night after the polls were closed. And so what happens if a county does not 
finish their counting the night of the election. Well, is there any consequence to doing that? Yeah, there is. Um, In Georgia, at the counties, most of our counties are run by something called a board of elections, which are appointed citizens uh, that are supposed to serve there. Uh, There is a process after the fact where they can be brought before the state board of elections uh, and and orders can be entered of changes that they have to make in the future. Uh, Some of our counties with problems are already in those situations with orders or changes that they're supposed to make. Uh, And I would think that it's going to be those counties with problems that are going to be the examples for some of the changes we make, make this next session. Uh, for example, allowing a county who continuously seems to have trouble on election night, and they seem to be our big counties, particularly in the metropolitan Atlanta area, letting the state come in and actually take over their system to some extent uh, when they have repeated offenses and repeated problems. You know, the good side of it is we got about 150-something counties in Georgia that don't generally have problems, including most of the ones in your district uh, in East Georgia. But in those much heavy metropolitan areas, we do see problems, and uh, and I think that'll be a point of some of our legislation this next session. So, are you saying then that you really believe we will have an answer on that Tuesday night, and you're you're not foreseeing this going on for weeks and weeks afterwards? Um, I hope not. And and some of the changes we've been made have been directly trying to make that happen. Of course, there's only three. Uh, people on the ballot, three races on the ballot versus, you know, a dozen or two dozen as opposed to the November general election. So that should make the counting go much quicker. I know it makes the voting process go quicker. My wife and I both early voted, and it was pretty speedy. So we hope that uh, the changes we put in place will, will give us a result on election night. Of course, you know, if it comes down to just a handful of votes, uh, uh, you know, 30, 40, 100, 100, 200 votes, You'll have recounts uh, and uh, and more recounts and double checking, but that's the way the process should work if it's a very close election. But hopefully, on election night, we'll have results much quicker. That's very encouraging. What about Barry? We're hearing a lot of news about people moving to Georgia specifically for the purpose of casting a vote in this senatorial election. What what are the governing laws regarding residency and voting? Yeah, because Georgia is one of the few states with a runoff, um, when a libertarian candidate is on the ballot in Georgia, sometimes that'll keep one candidate or another from getting slightly over 50 percent. And so, therefore, we have something called the runoff where the top two vote getters have to have to go in on the ballot in a runoff. Uh, Georgia law says you can't register to vote um, before a runoff election if you weren't registered for the general election. Unfortunately, a, a federal judge, as they do quite often get involved in state elections law, overturned that and said we did have to reopen uh, our um, registration process before the runoff. There was a lot of news and a lot of talk about people moving to Georgia just to vote, and that resulting in a lot of news and a lot of talk about the fact that if you do that in Georgia, it's a felony. And once again, sunshine quite often brings a better result, and there's a lot of eyeballs now watching who moved here, who registered to vote. We have thousands of people move to Georgia every month because we are a fast-growing state. But there's extra scrutiny this time of if someone is moving here without the true intention of living here. And, uh, and so, you know, that's been monitored through the process, I think, closer than normal. So uh, what, what, what do you think uh, with all of this, as, as people are moving and the, uh, the, the, the pendulum is – so enormously huge is what's stake, uh, at stake. We're either going to go one direction or another 
in this country, depending on the outcome of this election. And are you saying that you feel confident uh, and you can give confidence to the voters of Georgia that the and now obviously we still have issues that are going to be dealt with when the General Assembly comes back and makes some laws uh, that will govern in the future. But for this one, given the circumstances, can people feel relatively confident that their vote is going to count and fraud will be at a minimum? I think they can. Uh, you know, there's never been an election without problems. And, and unfortunately, there's never been a big election probably without someone doing something that they weren't supposed to do. It's happened throughout our history. However, there's never been more attention paid to one election in a long time in our country than the one going on in Georgia right now. And, and with so many people watching and so much more scrutiny going on, I would say to my voters and yours, go out and vote in Georgia, particularly the listeners of the station, because it's important. And there's been a lot of changes made to make it better. Well, Barry Fleming, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Washington Watch and for the incredible leadership that you exhibit in the state of Georgia right now, more important than ever. And your influence certainly goes far beyond Georgia and reaches across the country as a whole. We deeply appreciate your leadership. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Happy to do it, Congressman. Take care. You as well. All right, friends. Jody High stepping in for Tony Perkins, Washington Watch. Bishop Garland Hunt will be joining me shortly to talk about why it's so important for Christians to get out and vote. He was a key leader in a tremendous uh, event held by FRC Action. And we will speak with Bishop Garland Hunt right after this. Stay tuned. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org slash worldview. Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. 
We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Jody Heiss from Georgia's 10th Congressional District filling in for Tony Perkins. And we welcome you on board this evening. I am honored to have a next guest joining me, Garland Hunt. Bishop Garland Hunt is a tremendous man in every way. He is a tremendous spiritual leader as well as community leader uh, and uh, in so many ways. I've had the honor of knowing Garland for several years. Well, recently the uh, FRC Action put together an event in Georgia dealing uh, specifically, it was a call to Georgia pastors. And the purpose was designed to try to equip faith leaders and pastors with information as it relates to responding to some of the issues that we're facing today, how to effectively engage in the public square, uh, and, of course, navigating uh, some of the upcoming runoff elections that we're facing. And one of the key individuals in that event was Garland Hunt. He is, uh, he, he's done just about everything. He's been, for example, the Georgia State Board of Pardons and Paroles uh, appointee from Governor Sonny Perdue. Uh, he's been the uh, past president of Prison Fellowship, uh, as well as an extremely effective and successful pastor of a great, great church. And uh, Garland, thank you so much for joining us. Good to uh, have you on board, my friend. Well, it's so good to be, be be here with you, Congressman. It is absolutely a pleasure to uh, to even be here and to be able to have you hosting the show like this. You two two Georgians together. <laughs> it's, it's really great. It's really that's great. that's right. Well, listen, I want to play for you a couple of clips, and this will take about thirty seconds. There's actually three different okay. clips from uh, okay. the Senate candidate Raphael Warnock, and I want you to hear these clips. I want our listeners to hear it, then I want to come back and get your comments. Okay. America, okay. nobody can serve God and the military. I have a profound reverence for life and an abiding respect for choice. The question is, whose decision is it? And I happen to think that a patient's room is too small a place for a woman, her doctor, and the U.S. government know that as I make my way to the United States Senate, you have someone who will stand up for the Equality Act. Wow. All right, there we've got three different issues, and I really want to get your response to this. 
Bishop Garland Hunt. Uh, tell me, let's yeah. let's hit first of all just on the abortion issue. I, as you know, and yourself, I mean, I've been a pastor almost thirty years. Prior to going to Congress, I cannot mm-hmm. find anywhere in the Bible where there is support for abortion, and yet Raphael Warnock claims that there is. What do you say to that? You know, it just really distresses me to find someone that's in the pulpit of probably one of the most popular uh, churches in maybe America, maybe in the world, seeing as though it was pastored by Dr. King. But he's using that platform to talk about things that are very, very anti-Bible. And one of the things is that idea of abortion, and he speaks of it as though it's some kind of government intrusion. This isn't a government intrusion. We're talking about a life in the womb. It it should be the place where a child should be protected. It should be a place where the child should be nurtured and is growing there. God ordained this baby even before the foundation of the world, but more specifically in medical terms, certainly at conception. So here, Psalms 139, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 1, all of it is very clear that his hand is upon a child in the womb, and he's forming and shaping it in the darkest parts. It says that, that he ordained Jeremiah as a prophet to the nation while he was in his mother's womb. It's very clear that, that, that Jesus is pro-life, God is pro-life. And to have a pastor to say he's a pro-choice pastor, this is oxymoron. It's, I can't even believe it. I question Christians that feel that way, other than the pastors. So I'm totally appalled and offended, even as a minister myself, that someone else would, would project himself as a minister and somehow try to uh, try to justify abortion. Well, you and a group of other spiritual leaders, prominent leaders, actually wrote Raphael Warnock a letter asking him to denounce his position on abortion. Have any of you heard back from him? Uh, Not directly, but his campaign did respond. His campaign said exactly what the second clip said. (laughs) It said, talked about how uh, the the doctor and the patient and government should not be in the same room. uh, I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, he he never can really go to Scripture to declare it, but he says he feels like the woman should have the the, the choice of, of her body. So that, that's basically what their response was, and then they tried to pick out a couple of us because they felt like we were conservative, that they felt like we had another agenda. But we clearly were saying, and I told the uh, reporters from Associated Press, from Atlanta General Constitution, that this right here is, is a spiritual concern. It's not even a political concern. This is a spiritual concern with a man that says that he's a man of God preaching the gospel and pastor of one of the most famous churches in the country. Well, you know, it's it's alarming that there is a willingness to defy the Bible, as you yourself put it when you spoke at a press conference the other day, defying the Bible in order to follow a political party. And that's really what's taking place here. There is so much so. And, and I think what happens, and I, 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 you and I know, we both, I've run for office before, we know what it is to to be in, 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 a, in, a, in a position where you're responding to a party, but party should never override the scriptures. <laughs> party, or listen to this, or race. See, that's right. the other part about it. And I, I, have, I have the benefit of being uh, African-American like he is. But, I, but I'm not going to allow for race, no matter what the race racial leaders may say 
or I would not let gender, and I surely not going to allow for a political platform to Garland, define me. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Friends, stay tuned. We've got much more to come right after this. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. Jody Heiss here with you this evening, filling in for Tony Perkins, who's taking a few days off. He'll be back in a couple of days. We wish him and his family a great time of family time and relaxation. And uh, we are honored to have you. I want to take just a couple of moments to fill you in on a briefing that took place earlier today with Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. It involved the... Uh, a number, most of the Republican members of the House Oversight Committee. And the purpose really was threefold. We wanted to know what went wrong on November 3rd in that election. 
uh, we wanted to find out more information about the 250 current investigations that the Secretary of State's office has open into different fraud allegations and so forth in the state of Georgia. And then thirdly, we wanted to know what is being done to secure the upcoming election. So that briefing took place today, and I say briefing just uh, I don't want to get in the woods uh, weeds with this too much, but being the minority party, as the Republicans are in the House of Representatives, we are not out able to have an official hearing. And so what we did is just on our side, as the minority, we put together a briefing. So uh, he could come and talk to us, and we could have discussions, uh, and it went that that route. But, of course, it was not a, a formal hearing. But... Some of the issues, I mean, you look at, for example, what what took place in November 3rd in Georgia was just absolutely disastrous. And by the way, at the same time that we were having our briefing today, the Georgia Senate was holding another hearing on election fraud in Georgia, and a lot of additional information came out in that hearing, and I've spoken to some Georgia senators, state senators who were part of that. And so the the snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as more and more information is revealed. But, I mean, the proper protocols for elections were totally, virtually ignored in November 3rd. Uh, there, there were uh, testimonies. We've had testimonies after testimonies of large numbers of fraudulent ballots that were introduced into a pool of regular ballots. We have testimonies of pristine ballots, ballots that were never folded. So how how do they come in a uh, an absentee envelope when they were never folded? I mean, pristine, absolutely perfect, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, identical in the little circle bubbles that people fill in for their uh, voting uh, uh, preferences and all this sort of thing. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. One of the big, big issues is that of signature verification. And this, to me, is just one of the biggest issues involved here. By law, Georgia has voter ID requirements for everyone who cast a ballot, except for those who vote by absentee. Now, I don't have any question this will be one of those things that will change in the upcoming legislative session. But as it currently stands, if you vote by absentee ballot in Georgia, there's no voter ID. The only kind of verification that the voter is who they say they are is a signature verification. And, boy, I tell you what, that is a gaping hole in what took place in November 3rd, we had 1.3 million absentee ballots cast on November 3rd. I would anticipate it will be somewhere in that ballpark for the senatorial election coming up uh, next week. And all we've got to go by is signature verifications. And number one, that's not an easy thing to do. But secondly, it's easy for verification of signatures to slip through the cracks. So one of the big things that I believe came out in the briefing today, if you will, um, is not a bombshell. It's something we knew, but it was something also that the Secretary of State 
uh, actually more or less admitted without actually saying, I admit this, he did so. And that is that he made a colossal mistake by sending applications for absentee ballots to everyone on the voter registration file in the state of Georgia. Number one problem with that is probably at least 10% of your voter registration file is incorrect. So when you're sending nearly 7 million ballots or ballot applications to uh, out to 7 million people, and if 10% of your voter registration file is incorrect, that's 700,000 people who are receiving an application for a ballot, and they are illegal voters. They no longer live here. They have moved. Some of them perhaps have deceased. Or what For whatever reason, they are invalid voters in the state of Georgia, and yet they received an application to receive a ballot. Now... If you have that many fraudulent applications, I mean, that opens wide the door for fraudulent activity. The Secretary of State did that on his own. That in itself is a huge problem. But secondly, the big problem of that is that it's against the law. The only ones in the state, and this is according to the Constitution, the only ones who can change and make election laws are the legislatures of the various states. And asking him today in the in the briefing, did the Georgia General Assembly grant you legislative authority to unilaterally make that kind of decision? He said, no, they did not. Powerful, powerful info. Stay tuned. Got a couple of senators you want to hear from right after this on Washington Watch. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. 
To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again Welcome back to Washington Watch. Jody Heiss here with you. Filling in for Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us. And I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Looking forward to a wonderful new year for you and our country Glad to see 2020 coming to a close and looking at a brand new year in 2021, wishing you and praying for you the absolute best. All right. I want to uh, segue now into what are the possibilities? What could happen uh, based upon the election of senators in the state of Georgia? If by chance, let's just say, and I'm not predicting one way or the other, I'm hopeful that Senators Leffler and Purdue will win. Uh, I'm looking for that, and I, I honestly believe that's going to happen. But let's just suppose it does not happen. Let's consider what our nation might look like if the Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House. And I can tell you things would radically change in our country. Uh, for example... Uh, and I can, I can say this because of being a part of the oversight committee, one of the big bills that we have been battling against literally all year long, H.R. 1, that deals with election laws. Uh, they would want to nationalize what has actually been played out right here in the state of Georgia, for example, where you have uh, universal mail-in ballots where everyone who's on a voter registration file, everyone would just automatically receive a live ballot going in the mail. So would there be millions of live ballots going out, zero voter ID associated with that ballot, with those ballots. Ballot harvesting would become nationalized. I mean, on and on and on, elections would change. Uh, they, they want to make Washington, D.C. a state so that there would be two more senators. Uh, They want to do the same for Puerto Rico. Again, two more senators. Uh, And each of those would have another member of the House of Representatives. There would be drastic changes in our military, uh, where we have seen tremendous strength and growth in our military over the last several years. That would change. 
we would start seeing the military funding cut back tremendously. Uh, we would watch things like the Green New Deal be implemented, where, goodness, everything in our lives, from from the homes we live in, the buildings we work out, the automobiles we drive, uh, everything would be impacted not by our choices and our decisions, but by the federal government dictating what we can and cannot do. And thus the entire economic structure of our land would change. Uh, and it would change in a direction of socialism, where government starts making all these types of choices for us, and we have less and less freedoms in our lives. And so all these type of things are literally hanging in the balance right now. That's why, on on the one hand, it's important for us as Christians to get out and vote, but it's critically important that we do more than vote, that we engage others to do the same, but that we ourselves are active in praying and asking God to help us and do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And so I want to encourage you to be involved in prayerfully asking for God's aid and his intervention in our country during these days. But not only do you have those type of issues that typically are considered political issues like statehood or the military or open borders. Uh, we didn't talk about that, or we could even talk about what's happening in some of these large uh, Democratic-run states and cities where we're watching defunding of the police. We're watching riots occur. I mean, these types of things would become more and more commonplace all along the country. And and. I'm not just simply talking about those type of political things, socialism and Green New Deals, but but there's also the spiritual aspect, the, the sanctity of life and marriage and uh, conscience laws and all these types of things. And one of the individuals who has been a champion for all these is a great senator from Oklahoma, Senator James Lankford. He is a leader on these Christian values that mean so much to us. Senator Lankford, I want to thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Yeah, pleasure to be with you. Glad you're glad you're filling in tonight. Well, it's an honor to do so and an honor to have you on the program as well. We're talking about what our country would look like if we lose the Senate. I mean, everything right now is hanging on this, and we have the political issues, but then there are many of the faith-based issues, life, marriage, uh, conscience rights, all these types of things that are in the balance as well. Just give us your perspective of what the Senate might look like if Democrats took control. Yeah, it, it's it's a significant difference to say the least. Uh, so it's uh, it, the difference between Mitch McConnell calling up which uh, which bill we will uh, debate next, and Chuck Schumer calling up which bill we'll debate next is dramatic. And I've had folks that would say, well, the, the Senate would be divided fifty fifty, so it really wouldn't make that big of a difference. Uh, it's an enormous difference uh, because if things continue to go the direction that they are currently headed towards right now with uh, Joe Biden. Uh, going in as the president, that means Kamala Harris would be the uh, the president of the Senate as the vice president of the United States, would cast the tie-breaking vote on every single issue. So nominations would be very, very different. Uh, you, uh, the Senate is the check for the president on who to nominate. Uh, and if Democrats are in control of the Senate, they have no check. 
they can put in just as radical a progressive as they want to be able to put in. Uh, right now, I do know that some of the folks at the uh, Biden team are looking at, they're, they're having to second guess and say, I don't think we can get some of these socialists that would actually get through the Senate uh, to get approved. And so they're having to pause on some names. Uh, but if they win the Senate, they don't have to pause on any of those. They can just move full force. Uh, more folks in the administration have a socialist perspective. It dramatically changes the bills that are actually coming up and being debated. Uh, it changes the judges that would come through and get lifetime appointments on the bench significantly. Uh, it is a dramatic difference uh, for the country. And so it, it just couldn't be any more significant that the entire country is watching Georgia vote right now and uh, counting on the good folks of Georgia to be able to step up and take the lead. Well, I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's go back to something that you said, though, with uh, Kamala Harris breaking the tie. If, worst-case scenario, we lose these two Senate races in Georgia, we then would, in fact, have a tie in the U.S. Senate. Right. So walk walk our listeners through a little bit more of what that means. A tie is really not a tie. It actually gives control to the Democrats, doesn't it? That's correct. So when, when you have a tie in the Senate, whether it's a vote on any item or just a procedural motion on any item, the vice president of the United States is the one who steps in, sits down in the chair, uh, and breaks the tie in the Senate. Uh, and so that would be Kamala Harris stepping in to be able to break the tie, which would mean in all uh, in all uh, matters that are out there that are serious to us, that's what would happen over and over and over again. So, again, you're going back to every judge, uh, every nominee, every bill, uh, every instance uh, that um, Kamala Harris would sit in the chair and would break the tie, and they would move the Senate much more radically uh, to the left. Well, a chilling thought to think about. Uh, Let me come back to you, Senator Lankford, in just a few moments. We also have on the line with us Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama, one of the newer senators and a great uh, leader already. Uh, Senator, thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you. Good to be here. It's uh, a little chilly in Washington, D.C. tonight, but We'll work through it, but it's really hot on the Senate floor. I was watching the debate a while ago with the uh, stimulus package of $2,000, and uh, uh, pretty good debate going on. Well, and, and we've got to have those kinds of debates. Uh, let, me, let me just ask you, you're new in the Senate. You're getting your feet wet. You're already doing a, a, a great job and uh, gaining a lot of momentum with people looking at you uh, in multiple ways. But from your perspective as a new senator, we're talking about how the Senate changes if, in fact, these two senators in Georgia lose and the Senate in the in the uh, nation's capital ends up as a tie. What does that look like to you from your perspective? It'll be a disaster uh, just being up here for a month and walking around talking to people and, and watching you know, how things work. It's, you know, if, if, if we don't have some semblance of, of – uh, majority uh and it's only can now be in the in the senate uh we're going to just have to sit back and take it uh and i I just uh you know i've been on this this earth 66 years and i've never seen us in such problems that we're in now we're having to fight socialism and one of the reasons i ran jody was because of i worked in schools uh for 40 years i've been around uh, teachers, been around administrators, been in the schools all over the country and and universities, and I saw the direction that our education was is going. And uh, we're we're not educating anymore. It's more in in a lot of places, most places, it's indoctrination. And 
we've got to get back to teaching kids something. And that's the reason we're in the, the, the problem we're in right now. That's the reason it's so important that we get one uh, or both of these senators from Georgia elected is we can get back some semblance of education in this country. It's uh, We're headed straight to socialism. I mean, and people sometimes look at you go, oh, that's not going to happen in this country, folks. It's not happening. It's already happened. Uh, we're on the verge. We're on the fence of turning socialist, and then communism is right behind it. And, you know, if you look at the vice president that uh, looks like could possibly be our next vice president, this Kamala Harris, uh, she calls herself a, a Democrat, but she's a socialist communist, the bottom line. Uh, she believes in it and just listen to her talk. And that's the reason we've got to keep the Senate and so important for people to go out and vote. Could not agree more. Uh, and and listen, you are an awesome football coach as well. Uh, although I'm still uh, a Go Dogs fan, uh, <laughs> we we appreciate uh, you and your leadership. What you're already doing there in the Senate, uh, Senator Langford. Let me come back to you. Uh, what what do you foresee if the Democrats do tie the Senate and actually thereby take a majority? What are some of the first steps that you think they will take? What would what can we anticipate kind of them coming out of the gate trying to accomplish? So I would think one of the first things they would do is bring up a highly partisan bill. And uh, then when Republicans um, block it immediately, then they would then move to uh, change the filibuster rules. And people would say, well, well what does that really mean? Well, the, the Senate is the only place in the American government where both sides have to be heard. It's not in the courts. It's not in the House. It's not in the White House. Uh, in the Senate is the place by design where both sides have got to be heard. You've got to have a really big majority for one side to be able to take the lead, like what happened in the first two years of President Obama's time when Democrats had 60 members in the Senate, and they ran through things like Obamacare and the Dodd-Frank Act, and they did all these massive changes, and the American people freaked out in many ways and said, well, we, that that is not what we want. And they pushed back, and there was an overwhelming election in 2010 that many people remember during that time period and kind of reset government. But that was moving so quickly because the Senate was not slowing things down to say, let's debate this more. Let's talk about it a little bit more. That's the design of the Senate. What they're looking to do is to be able to take away that filibuster immediately and to say there will no longer be a a place where we'll actually debate from both sides. Then the next thing they want to do is make Washington, D.C. a state. And, again, you would say, well, why would they bring that up? Well, because they can be assured of having two more Democrat senators then. And what they're trying to do is change the rules of the filibuster and then close the door behind them. And so there's no chance that Republicans would ever be able to take control of the Senate again. Uh, and so that that, that is it's not just a small shift. They're talking about a massive shift uh, in the way we do government as quickly as they possibly can. And that's why I think Chuck Schumer was pretty clear the day after the November 3rd election he started talking about Georgia and said, first we take Georgia, then we change the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, he meant it uh, when he said that. And he really sees the Georgia race as the spot that if he can win that one, he can change the whole country. What about in reference to religious liberties? What would you think would happen on that spectrum? Well, that, that is obviously very perceptive of you to be able to bring that up, because one of the key things that's happened in the last six months even, the president has brought up quite a few different executive actions and through regulatory changes uh, into our different agencies to say both in the military we're going to have a greater respect for religious freedom and liberty, people being able to live that out, in our health and human services being able to honor what's called conscience protections uh, so that individuals that are, let's say, a nurse uh, that is opposed to abortion can't be brought in and mandated to be able to actually 
perform an abortion uh, in our hospital there as a, as a basis of our employment. Some of these changes have been made with regulations that have gone through that take a couple of years to actually get done. They've gotten done here at the end. They could all be undone which, with what's called a Congressional Review Act. Uh, that would go through Pelosi's House. That would then go through Chuck Schumer's Senate. And then uh, a Joe Biden president would then unwind all those regulations literally with the stroke of a pen and start removing some of these conscience protections, some of these freedoms uh, that have been put in for people to be able to live out their faith. Uh, I have no doubt that would be very quickly on their to-do list uh, to be able to execute on some of those things. So, again, it's one more reason uh, why it's important that we protect what's happening in the Senate. Absolutely. And Senator Tuberville, back to you, your experience in uh, the, the educational world for so long. Uh, what would you see happening as it relates to education as a whole? Uh, you, you refer to the indoctrination. We, we have all seen that. And what's happening uh, to, to an upcoming generation is frightening. But as it relates to everything from sex education to educational choice, what would you see happening if the Democrats take control? All right, we we dropped uh, Senator Tuberville. Let me come back. Are are you there? No, it sounds like we lost the coach. Uh, Okay, well, Senator Langford, let me ask you that. Uh, We've got about a minute left, uh, less than that, uh, 30 seconds. What would happen to the education in our country? You know, the the challenge that we have in education is allowing people to really be able to teach their passion and to be able to teach basic American values. I was reading a story today about how in China they're doing more and more to indoctrinate their children and to teach them more and more the communist values in their schools. But, uh, Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.